is Gihon, the same as it that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hadeco, that is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make an help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, and every fowl of the air, and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle, and to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found an help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Thus far we read God's holy and inspired words. May God bless the reading of the Holy Scriptures unto our hearts. So on the basis of what we have read in Genesis 2 and the instruction of many other passages of the scriptures besides that we find the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 3. Lord's Day 3, did God then create man so wicked and perverse? By no means. God created man good and after his own image in true righteousness and holiness that he might rightly know God his creator, heartily love him, and live with him in eternal happiness to glorify and praise him. Whence then proceeds this depravity of human nature? from the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. Hence our nature has become so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. Are we then so corrupt that we are wholly incapable of doing any good and inclined to all wickedness? Indeed we are, except we are regenerated by the Spirit of God.
Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, last week, Sunday, when we looked at Lord's Day 2, we considered the reality of our misery. The Catechism asks in question 3, Whence knowest thou thy misery? That is, how do you know your misery? And the answer that we saw last time is that we are to know our misery not according to the judgments or the standards of what our experiences or what our desires are upon this earth, but instead we are to know or we are to evaluate our misery according to the perfect standard of God's law, which is love. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of your being, You are to love your neighbor as yourself. That is perfection, as Jehovah God sets forth that standard before us. Man sees his misery then as he compares his condition unto that perfect standard set by God. Lord's Day 3 then builds off of what has been acknowledged for truth in Lord's Day 2. Lord's Day 2, we understand there is misery, and our misery comes from the fact that we do not keep God's law. Lord's Day 3 then asks the question, what is the source? What is the explanation of this misery? Where did this misery come from? Really, there are only two options. Either man's misery comes from the Creator or man's misery comes from the creature. Either God is the one who is responsible for sin and for misery upon this earth or man is the one who is responsible for sin and for misery. The question of Lord's Day 3 really is this. Who is to blame? Whose fault is it? That man does not keep the law of the Lord, but there is brokenness on this earth. Now you understand from a certain perspective, there's very limited value in even considering such a question. Who's to blame? Are we going to be able to go back in time and undo what happened in the fall? Further, there's limited value in considering the question for what if one was to conclude God is to blame? It's Jehovah's fault that there is sin and misery upon this earth. Are we then, who are the creature, going to call Jehovah God into judgment? Are we going to appoint ourselves as judges over God and examine what God has done and find fault with His creative work? 
So you understand, beloved, that from a certain perspective, there's limited value in even considering the question because you can't change it and because we are not in a spot to judge God. But on the other hand, there is value. There's wisdom in what the writers of the Catechism have given to us facing this question, whence proceeds this misery? Question six, did God then create man so wicked and perverse? There's value in this question, and the value is this. We must know what is the source of the problem if we will find the remedy, the cure to the problem. God created, man fell into sin, but the goodness and the grace of God is this, Jehovah God also restores. So let's consider then this morning God's good creation. First, we'll see that it's wonderful Second, corrupted by the fall into sin. Third, redeemed by God. The scriptures teach us with regard to this wonderful creation that God is the one who created all things. Genesis 1 records for us the account, the historical account of Jehovah God as he spoke and as he called into existence everything that has its place in heaven above and in earth beneath. Jehovah God created all things according to the power of his word. God said, let there be light, and there was light. As God shaped the heavens and the earth, God shaped it in such a way that it would reveal unto the people who dwelt on this earth his power and his divinity. There is stamped on this creation, as it were, the signature of Jehovah God. As we look at creation and we behold all that has been shaped, we see behind this creation the greatness, the power, and the majesty of Jehovah God. God created this creation in a perfect way. At the center of this creation was a beautiful garden, which Jehovah called, called the Garden of Eden. How lovely and how beautiful was this garden. In the garden there was life. There was plant life that God created and placed within that garden. God did not simply create seeds that could be planted in the ground and then those seeds would grow up and later on produce life or produce fruit, but rather Jehovah God created a mature earth. He created trees and placed those mature trees inside of the Garden of Eden. Trees that already bore fruit so that on the sixth day, when man was created, man could go and he could pluck of that fruit to have nourishment for his body. Within this garden, there was a river flowing through it. 
This river passed from the Garden of Eden and it went out. And the scriptures tell us that it broke up into four different heads. And so we see then from this garden that this garden was the source of life. For that water as it went forth out of the garden nourished the thirsty ground. Within the garden, God placed two different types of trees. There was the tree of life, and there was the tree of the knowledge of the good and of good and evil. The one tree, if man were to eat of that, he would have life. But if man would eat of that other tree, man would have death. That the second tree is called the knowledge of good and evil does not mean that man, apart from partaking of that tree, would not know the difference between good and evil. It's not as if Adam was ignorant of that which was right and that which was wrong in the sight of God. And the only way that he could gain that knowledge was by eating of that particular tree. Or rather, as a tree is called the knowledge of good and evil, Adam, upon partaking of that tree, would experience in a different way that knowledge of good and evil. He would come under the dominion of evil. He would be controlled by evil. He would experience evil personally. It's in this garden with trees, with a river flowing through it, with a mist that rose up to water the ground that God placed man. First, Adam. The name Adam means man. Adam was created in a special way by God. God did not simply speak and call Adam into existence as God had done for the rest of the work of creation. But God used dust, clay. And God shaped that clay in such a way that he formed a human being. And then God exhaled. He breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, and man, Adam, became a living soul. Adam was created in such a way that he was different than the rest of creation. That's why God shaped Adam out of the dust of the ground, and why God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, in order to make clear that Adam was not the same as the rest of the animate and inanimate objects of creation. Adam was not the same as any of the wildlife, any of the animals that were found in creation. But Adam was created by God in such a way that he was capable of bearing God's image. He was an image bearer. God said within himself as the triune God spoke within himself. He said, let us make man after our own image. And so God created man in such a way that man was holy. He was devoted unto God. He was righteous. And he had a right knowledge of God. He understood 
what God required of him. But man was alone. So God gave him a woman. Eve, woman, the name woman means literally of the man. So Adam is man, Eve is of the man. Adam did not originally understand that he was alone. So God led him to that point of acknowledging that. God commanded Adam, go and number the animals and name these animals. And as Adam carried out that work, giving unto them their names, God saw the animals come two by two. And yet for Adam there was found, according to verse 20, no help meet for him. No help who was suitable for him. So Jehovah God caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam. He slept. God took one of Adam's ribs, closed up the flesh, and from that rib which the Lord had taken from man, made he a woman. That word translated as made a woman means literally built he a woman. God constructed the woman in such a way that she would be a help suited to the needs of her husband. The husband without the woman was incomplete. But with the woman created for him, the man was complete. As we look at this creation that God himself shaped in six 24-hour days, we see that God's creation of man and of all of this earth was a good creation. This is what the Catechism teaches us. Did God then create man so wicked and perverse? By no means, but God created man good. This as well is the repeated refrain that's used in Genesis chapter 1. We didn't read that, but after the days of creation, God reflects upon the work that he had done, and God saw that it was very good. The creation was good in this sense that the creation was perfectly adapted unto the purpose that God had given unto it. God created everything with a specific purpose and God gave unto every creature a mandate. And according to the goodness of this creation, the creature was able to carry out the mandate that God had given unto it. The sun was good. God created the sun, which was to be the greater light to rule by day. And the sun was able to carry out that mandate that God gave unto it and be that great light. The moon was created by God to be the lesser light to rule the night. And the moon, according to the goodness of God, that that God had given it in creating it, the moon was able to carry out 
the mandate that God had given unto it. The firmament fulfilled its roles of dividing the waters above from the waters beneath. Every creature in obedience to God fulfilled the God-given assignment that had been given to it. But the goodness of God in creating man in creation is more than that. The goodness of God in shaping this earth is revealed in this too, in the beauty of the relationship that was found within the Garden of Eden. How lovely was that original marriage between Adam and Eve. They lived together in perfect harmony. There were no misunderstandings in their communication as husband and wife. There were no disagreements. There were no concerns or arguing about finances, about children, about their earthly possessions. But they cleaved one to another, not ashamed of their nakedness, but thankful for the place that God had given them together as husband and as wife. A good creation. But what was especially good, beloved, was the relationship between God and man. You see, God created man good and unique in such a way that man would be able to covenant with God. That's the beauty and that's the wonder of the Garden of Eden. God Himself came and communed with Adam, talked with Adam in the cool of the garden. The words that we use to describe this relationship between Adam, who was the creature, and God, who was the creator, is this. Adam was God's friend, servant. He was God's servant. There was work that Adam had to fulfill in that garden. God did not simply place Adam in the garden and then permit him to sit there unmoving, not performing anything, but God gave unto him a mandate. We mustn't imagine of the covenant in such a mystical sense that we imagine that the covenant means that man just does nothing and that then by by, by virtue of man doing nothing, man still yet enjoys this covenant. God gave Adam a commandment. Adam was God's servant. And the commandment that God gave to Adam was work. Exercise dominion over this creation. Be fruitful and multiply. Tend to this garden in which I have placed you. Use your hands that I have given you. Use your mind which is capable of thinking and making decisions and use your body in such a way to carry out this 
original mandate given in the garden. But at the same time, Adam was not only God's servant, but he was God's friend. A friend-servant. There was open and free communication between God and Adam. God spoke to Adam, gave Adam instructions, told Adam to dress the garden and keep it. God delighted in Adam. God found satisfaction in that relationship and Adam found satisfaction in that relationship. This was, in brief then, the goodness of the original creation of God. As God created man so wicked and perverse, by no means, but God created man good. Question seven then, whence proceeds this depravity of human nature. The answer, according to the Catechism, is from the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. The history of the fall is recorded for us in Genesis chapter 3. There came the serpent into the garden. The devil had entered the serpent The serpent evidently could walk at that time. And the serpent stood apart from the rest of the other animals. He was more cunning, more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. The devil, who was a fallen angel, entered the serpent came into the garden, tempted first Eve and then Adam. He attacked the Word of God. He called into question the sincerity and truthfulness of what God had said. Did God really say that you are not to eat of every tree of the garden? And after planting then the seed of doubt in the mind of Eve, the serpent went on then to give a flat-out contradiction of the word of God. You shall not surely die, he told the woman. And she reached out and took and then gave to her husband and he also ate and fell. This fall in the garden, we must understand, was knowledgeable disobedience. It was not the case that Adam and Eve didn't understand what they were doing or what the implications were of their choice. They had been warned by God with regard to that tree of the knowledge of good and evil that the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. It was not the case that they were ignorant then as they partook of it. 
but they partook understandingly. In addition, we must understand that this fall in the garden was willful disobedience. Not only knowledgeable, but willful. Remember, Adam had been created by such a way in that he could think and desire and want. He was created in such a way to covet. He ought to have coveted God and desired God and sought Jehovah God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength. But instead of seeking and yearning for Jehovah God, Adam desired to be as God, desired to become a God unto himself. And so knowledgeably and willfully, he reached out and took it. It's not as if Adam was a mere puppet and God was the puppet master and Jehovah God pulled the strings to force Adam to reach out and take that fruit. But Adam, by an act of his own will, reached out and took it. The effects of this fall into sin are so great that we can hardly understand them. There is an effect upon this creation. The creation came under the curse of God. There's brokenness now that is experienced upon this earth. Before the fall into sin, Adam had, cre- had carried out that mandate given unto him as God's friend servant with joy and with satisfaction. Adam delighted in the work that God had given unto him to do. Adam delighted in acts of obedience unto God the Father. But now, as a result of Adam falling into sin, toiling and laboring upon this work would be done on this earth would be done by the sweat of his brow. There would be thorns and there would be thistles upon this earth which would make his labors on this earth unpleasant. And then as well, there was the effect of the fall upon the woman. She too would experience the curse of God. For he greatly multiplied her sorrow in her conception. In sorrow, she would bring forth children into this world. Adam and Eve were then driven from out of the garden. They could not, after the fall, go back and grab a hold of that fruit of the tree of life and undo the damage that had been done by partaking of the forbidden tree. But they were driven by God out. Cherubim were placed on the east end of the garden with flaming sword to protect the tree of life. Not only was there an effect on creation, there also was an effect upon the very nature of man. The end of answer 7 tells us, hence our nature has become so corrupt that we are all conceived and born 
in sin. Our nature. Nature is what I am and who I am. Nature includes all of the faculties or abilities of man. Man's thinking, willing, desiring. Our nature is revealed through the actions of man. The words that we speak reveal that our nature is so corrupt. The thoughts that we have. The vain and base desires. We receive this corrupt nature from our parents. It's not merely the case that our nature is shaped or influenced by the circumstances of our lives in which we find ourselves. It's not that the nature comes into this world neither good or evil, but we are conceived and born in sin. The confession we make with regard to our nature is, my nature is corrupt. Would that this were not the case. Would that it were the case that our nature was good, that our nature was pleasant, that our nature was gracious and kind and long-suffering one with another. Would that our nature would be filled with love for God and for the neighbor. But that is not the case. We have lost by nature the image of God in man. No longer filled with righteousness, holiness, and a right and true knowledge of God. Instead, we have a nature that is opposed unto God. A nature that with Adam of old would seek to hide from the very presence of God. Instead of Bearing the image of Jehovah God, that image has been replaced with the image of someone else. And we now, by nature, bear the image of the serpent, the devil, who came into the garden. We are by nature children of our father, the devil, who are inclined unto every sort of evil thoughts. The only hope we have for redemption is in Jehovah God Himself who created this earth. We are redeemed not through our own works, but redeemed only through the second Adam. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45 The first Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. The first Adam started out in paradise. He delighted in that relationship with God. But then the first Adam, in an act of willful disobedience, fell from that place, that original state of righteousness. The second Adam, Jesus, 
also lived with God in heavenly paradise. He delighted in fellowship and in communion with God. Similar to the first Adam, the second Adam gave up his place in paradise in order to come into a broken and fallen earth. But different from the first Adam, the second Adam entered into this fallen earth by an act of obedience. Whereas Adam the first fell by disobedience, Adam the second took on the corrupt nature of his children, of his people, by his obedience. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He took upon himself our sins and the curse due unto us for those sins. He was made flesh, became bone of our bones and flesh of our flesh so that he could suffer in his human nature the wrath of God for the sins which we have committed. The Creator became the dust creature. The Prince of Peace became in his human nature the servant of God. The Holy One became guilty. I should clarify, I believe I said that his nature became corrupt. and That's not correct. He became guilty and yet his nature was holy. And as he took upon us his sins, as he stood before God, he became guilty. He drank that cup of God's wrath in order to redeem us from our sins. What does Jesus Christ redeem? He is the Redeemer of the creation. This earth that God shaped by His power. Romans 8, verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. 1 Peter 3, verse 13, We, according to His promise, Look for the new heaven and the new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. We look forward to the day when the creation will be brought unto that state of perfection through Jesus Christ. The day when the lion and the lamb will lie together the day when there will be no more brokenness, no more sin, no more injury, no more disease upon this earth, the day in which this earth will be made good in the sight of God. But not only does Jesus Christ redeem this creation, He also redeems us his people. 
The redemption of this creation stands in the service of the redemption of his people. He redeems this earth so that his people will have a paradise in which to live. He redeems his elect who are bought with the price of his own blood. He renews within us the image of God so that again we are made righteous and holy and are given that true knowledge of God. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy words. We thank Thee for this creation. And even though the creation on which we presently live is fallen and has come under Thy curse, we see in it still Thy handiwork and Thy power. Wilt Thou, Father, deal graciously with us through Jesus Christ? Wilt Thou bless Thy word unto our hearts? And wilt Thou preserve us for Jesus' sake? Amen.